a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, Pastor Fleming. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega the mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Like it or not, this is Table Talk Radio. Hey, Pastor, Who how's likes it going? It? No Fine. one. That's what I'm saying. Like, like it or not. So you should say, not like it or hate it. This is... <laughs> Table Talk Radio. Yeah. Table Talk Radio. Another episode has come upon you, like it or not. Alas. All right. I... in our Lutheran theology of suffering. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How are things going in Austin, Texas over there? Fine. Fine, fine. Good. Good. Hey, do you know, by the way, we can't record next week because I'm going to be in Denmark? Oh, for thanks for days. telling me more than 20 minutes out. I appreciate that. Yeah. Good, <laughs> Good heads up. <laughs> All right. I told uh, the guys at Issues a couple of weeks ago, I thought I should tell you today. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. So we got to start off with some buzzwords. I... Hey, a new game today, too. Oh, yeah. Tell us about this new game before we get started. It's What are we going to call it? How many times? This is just a game that we can play because I've been goofing around with my Logos Bible software, you know, because I'm an affiliate now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this is a, another chance to be a shameless plug. Got it. Uh, I have the Book of Concord on here. This is, I, We could play this with any book, but I think we'll play the Book of Concord. And we'll pick a word, and then you and I will guess how many times that word comes up in the Book of Concord. We're, I think we'll use the Tappert translation today, so that'll you can adjust accordingly. And then uh, we can take a look at a couple of the times that particular word is used in the Book of Concord. We can maybe even talk about what the Book of Concord is. That'll be fun. And we're going to play Ten Commandments in the News with this article that you've got about what animal will be in charge after all the humans are (laughs) dead. I I mean, I've asked myself that question a lot. (laughs) So... Really That'll be interesting to see how they think through that. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm really interested in. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, well, I got a uh, buzzword for you. Okay. Uh, this is the word saint. Oh, nice. Saint. We have the sanctus uh, in church where we sing holy, holy, holy. Uh, so saint comes from the Latin word for holy. And uh, we are holy because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That is what makes us holy. So a saint is someone who believes in Jesus. Uh, contrary to others who may define saint as a particular great work or ability to perform a miracle or something like this, we see how Paul will refer to the saints at such and such church, and they are saints because they believe. So uh, I start my sermons every Sunday with Dear Saints of God. Really? I do, I do too. Cool. All right. What do you have? You have oh, I forgot. I have to, uh, well, I, I have I to tell you what my buzzword is, don't I? You do. I Sometimes I'll say, I used to always say, dear saints, but now I say, dear sinners. 
<laughs> I did. Oh, I did do that once on All Saints Day. I switched it on him. <laughs> oh, it's a trick. You'd have to pick your own buzzword. I, I have today the doctrinal theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church available for free at wolfmuller.co slash downloads. <laughs> I just thought of a new Is game. Is it a plug if you give it away? Yeah. I. It is? I think the new game would be how many times is Pastor Wolfner going to plug something during the course of an episode? That's... You know, look at I, I have I've told you about my sales funnel idea. You know the pagans have the sales funnel. I have my, my sales funnel, and the idea is the, the way the sales funnel works is you have all the stuff at the top that catches people's attention, but then you're bringing them down to the, to the sale, you know, yep, you to where they buy it. something. Yep, yep. So I have a theological sales funnel, which is you have all the kind of goofball stuff at the top, but the point is that people read old theology books. That's the that's my end goal. And so Table Talk Radio is just like... It's where, what, where are it's we like on the, that funnel? It's like the it's like the foam bubbles on top <laughs> of, the, of the ocean. <laughs> but the whole point... I'm afraid to admit it, I used to listen to Table Talk Radio, but now I read the doctrinal theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church by Heinrich Schmidt. That's the goal of this whole deal. <laughs> Maybe you'll this get me the there bait. someday. This, the Table Talk Radio <laughs> is the stink bait that's trying to catch the trying to catch the fish. That's anyway. about right. Okay. So you can pick a page one to five hundred and no six hundred and seventy. Forty-two. Whoa. Way in the beginning here. Oh, chapter three: the source of theology. Namely, revelation. Ah, nice. And the paragraph is, revelation, not reason, not tradition. Let me read you a paragraph. In order to understand what is true and correct theology, we must inquire for the source from which we derive our knowledge of it. Quote, the source, principum, principium, principium, is that from which anything in some manner or other proceeds, quinstat. Von Revelation, we understand here, not that which is given in nature, but in the word, supernatural, as distinguished from natural revelation. More accurately, therefore, we say, the source of theological knowledge is the revelation contained in the Holy Scripture, and this is, moreover, the only source of theology, and neither reason, nor, at a later date, tradition, or church, is to be ranked with it nor are the supplementary revelations now to be expected from any quarter. Ooh, ah, that's nice. That so, revelation. How about yeah. that? Very good. I like that about theology, that it's the study of what God has revealed to us. So, we're not interested in theology about speculations or the philosophies that uh, just wonder about things, the possibilities of what could be, but it's to us, and we know that by reading the Scriptures. Mm. Great. All right. Well, so we got some buzzwords out of the way. Uh, do you want me to start reading on some of this article, and we can yep. Yep. come back Let's to it after it. the break? Okay, this is titled, What Animals Might Evolve to Have Our Smarts and Skills? Mm. It says humans— I think it's great. It, it, it's just, you know, <laughs> unquestioned assumptions of evolution. You know, it's like, obviously— but can you imagine how we're repressing all these animals? It's like um, living in the metaverse if we weren't taking all this intellectual space and energy to so get rid of humanity so the other animals can... What a mess. Says, humans are pretty unique among life on Earth. As far as what? we know, we're the only living species to evolve a higher intelligence, wear clothes, cook our food, 
invent smartphones and they get locked out of them when we forget our passwords. Uh (laughs) But what if humans suddenly went extinct? What other animals might evolve to have the smarts and skills to create a create large, complex societies like we have? The modern gene, uh, gene, gene sequencing technology and our understanding of evolution, we're pretty good at making short-term predictions. Martha Reskind, a molecular ecologist at North Carolina State University, told Live Science. For example, we can predict that if humans were to suddenly go extinct tomorrow, climate change would continue to drive many species towards drought resiliency in order to survive. Cold species, cold uh, specialized species will continue to struggle as well, meaning that, sadly, polar bears and penguins are unlikely to thrive in the millennia after humans are gone. Now, that's interesting. We'll just kind of pause right there because... Doesn't that go against the common narrative that we hear is that humans and their oil-loving jets are what's driving climate change and we're the problem? Wow, you make a fine point. Yeah, if the humans are gone, it seems like things would start to cool off around here. <laughs> it would seem that way. I mean, it would, it would I mean, if we took that at face value, it would seem to say no energy initiative is going to make a, any difference. I mean, yeah. just kiss the polar I, I bears goodbye right I mean, now. The, the thing of this this whole article, I mean, it's part of the fun of this, is like how much it just assumes all this stuff. You know, you just assume, you just assume um, uh, climate change and you assume evolution and you assume these things and, and then you just sort of play around. But they... It's not even questioned. It's just, well, of course, that's what's happening. Yeah, they're they're writing to the more evolved mind. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, all right. Well, we're gonna uh, pro- probably close enough to a break that we'll take one now, and then when we get back, we'll hear more from this article from Live Science about uh, what well, what animals would take over. It would fill the gap of our complex complexities of society if humans went extinct. We're talking about that. And then also, Pastor Wolfinger's new game called How Many Times. How Many Times. He'll have to explain that when we get back. Uh, oh, oh, also, our our toll-free number, 1-800-385-SOLA. We want to hear from you. Stay tuned. ahead. Your friends probably won't notice. This is Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal. Every week you can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. I've often asked myself, self, what are we going to do when no one's here anymore? And that is what the geniuses over at Live Science have also been wondering about. That's <laughs> great. Uh, no, that's nice. Uh, Dongle like Dixon, the man, you know, with the with the with the uh, with the barns. Yes. Let me pull down my barns and make some more. Self. <laughs> 
I think it's, you know, the guys over there, they're like, hey, I'll, I'm going to bet 20 bucks it's going to be the cockroaches. And the guy says, I'll bet you three to one it's going to be the whales. <laughs> I'll bet the farm on that. <laughs> and then the foxes are like, what are these guys leaving all this money around for? <laughs> I think it's Dougal. Dougal Dixon, a geologist, scientist, writer, and Dougal? author of the name? speculative book, A Man After Man, A Zoology of the Future said a big thing will be the concept of convergence. Convergence is an evolutionary process by which two unrelated organisms end up developing similar traits in order to succeed in a particular environment or fill a particular niche. A classic example, Dixon said, is the fish shape with their seek torpedo-like bodies. I wonder if they've, if they've evolved after torpedoes. Uh, with their sleek torpedo-like bodies, a stabilizing fins, fish are optimized for life in water. However, dolphins have, an ev- uh, have evolved a very similar body plan, and unlike fish, they are warm-blooded, air-breathing mammals with a totally different evolutionary background. One feature that makes humans uniquely good at building and and spatial reasoning is our dedectrous hands, according to the research of University of Manchester. In order to fill the same ecological role as humans, that is, building cities and heavily modifying our environment, another species would need to develop a similar capacity to manipulate objects. In other words, they would need obstacle or sorry, they would need opposable thumbs or at least thumb equivalents. Other primates That's the thing that's holding them back. Yeah. You can't text without thumbs. <laughs> Other primates like chimpanzees and uh, bonobos, is that right? Our closest living rel- relatives already have opposite, or sorry, opposable thumbs. I keep reading that wrong. Already have opposable thumbs, and they are used to making tools in the wild. It's possible that if humans go extinct, these humanoids might replace us humanoids. Humanoids? What's a humanoids? A la a, a planet that's not a human of the apes. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I, when, what, what? I think it's interesting about this article. What's a, like a Christianoid is someone who is not a Christian, or like a a humanoid. Uh, that's like the transgender thing. That's like a mananoid. That woman over there is a mananoid. Do you think that's what that means? I think so. Did Just I, try to get into the science. Say that right. Here we go. Get that. Uh, so okay. So what were the options that they put forward? Fish and. Bonobos. Well, I think I think the fish example was to say that look, fish have a certain shape, but then dolphins have evolved beyond a simple fish because while they still have the same body style to swim, they are mammals and warm-blooded and breathe air. So um, that was like a step in the right direction. <laughs> um, so the the question is, uh, whatever whatever is going to survive humanity is going to have to learn. By use of opposable thumbs, the ability to change the environment. They can't just learn to adapt within the environment. They have to change the environment. That is, build towers and infrastructure, things like that. I think what's interesting about this is that um, they they look around and say, well... I almost missed that. You almost slid that Tower of Babel reference. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right by me. <laughs> the the only thing that's go. different about these humans is that they've evolved further. And if something is going to be like we are, they're going to have to evolve 
to figure out these great things like humans have. And what is it, haven't the, we done a huge big thing? Like the dolphins will be, be like, you know, after the people are all gone, the dolphins will be like, well, let's just do what they did. <laughs> if they're so smart. Right. Uh, that's what I think they'll do. That's because I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Sure. <laughs> and I get that. <laughs> and you, but but, you but you, you see my point? I mean, it's like uh, at... Uh, Romans 1 says they are without excuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you look around, you're like, boy, there are beings here that have evolved a lot further than others. And you want to go, what? You, you don't notice something different by design that there are certain creatures who can do these things and other creatures that can't. And the difference is they haven't figured it out. Or is there maybe just a difference in the way they were designed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's right. It's there's these gaps. Remember these? There's gaps that just you can't get from here to there. When we so when we look at the 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 kind of whole mythology of evolution, and and you have this idea of the gradual move from one thing to another, you start to recognize the fact that there's these there, there's this from one to the next. You just there is no gap from not living to living. There's no in-between ground. And from conscious to uh, to not conscious, that's another one of these gaps. There's just no way to slowly get there. But but evolution can't see it. It has to see everything on this kind of gradual scale. So mm. the bobos, you know, they use sticks to eat the ants or whatever. So that's this that's part of the gradual scale from from tool-making hominid or whatever. But it's it, it is there is a foolishness there. And and at some point you just got to say how, you know, are are you, are you trying? Like, are you, are you trying to think about this with some objectivity, or is it the 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 whole sort of fairy tale of evolution has so captivated someone's imagination that they can't even recognize how how absurd it is? Uh, th- th- this is a, a paragraph that speaks to what you just said. That said, it would probably take hundreds of thousands or even millions of years of evolution for other apes to develop the ability to create and use sophisticated human-like tools. To add context to this scenario, the common ancestor of human of modern humans and chimpanzees lived about 7 million years ago. So some something some event makes humanity extinct. Oh, in fact, I just saw an interesting chart which doesn't go well on the radio. But it was a it was a map of the world, and it was uh, in different colors in what years the different various countries and nations um, will be in a negative population growth. Wow! So I believe Europe is already there, and so projecting uh, you know on, on this trend, seeing more people die than we're giving birth to every year. So you know within the next forty years, the entire world is going to be negative. You know net negative population growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so some event makes humans extinct. And these in- these chimpanzees can be like, well, can't figure out this tool yet. So maybe in 7 million years, we'll be able to, we'll be able to build this. I, I just, I, you know, granted, I suppose the evolutionist listening is saying that we are closed minded, not considering things, but this just sounds, this sounds crazy to me. Uh, right. it's, it's more, it's more plausible to think that chimpanzees will 
will evolve to the level of being able to build infrastructure in seven million years than it is to believe that there's a intelligent designer who created us in his own image so that we would rule over the land, rule over the earth. What's what's what, more plausible there? Right. What, what is um, what is the uh, event that's going to wipe out the people, but the chimps are going to make it through? Yeah. I, let's see. I think I saw something in there. You know, I know what it is. It's the metaverse. We were just talking yeah, about that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The, the monkeys aren't, aren't, aren't putting VR on their eyes. Well, not a, for, like, you know, imagine in 700 million years from now, and a, the monkey finds the headset and puts it on. Yeah. Oh, so I have, the, I have the next line here. I knew I saw that. Uh, but any disaster potent enough to wipe out humans is also likely to wipe out chimps, which leaves another tool-using candidate to fill humans' niche. Birds. <laughs> it's hot down there. Who can, sw- who can fly around long enough to make it? It was the raven who was the first one off the ark. Never came back. So there you go, full circle. (laughs) What a goofball! Okay, want to do some Ten Commandments in the news on this? Okay, yeah, we got about a minute here. So I mean, number one, this is not a commandment. The first article says, "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth." That's nice. So we confess that God has created us, and apart from that, you have a lot of trouble. I mean, if you if you just mark out the Creator part of this universe, then you are out to sea. You have, as Nietzsche prophesied, mm-hmm. unleashed the earth from the sun, mm. and uh, you're just floating around. And that is no good. You can't get to anything solid, either morally or rationally or anything else, nor can you get to a good reason not to just blow everything up. I mean... That's just a, it's a preface to, when you, when you murder God, you're all, well on your way to murdering your fellow man and murdering uh, the world. So you believe, so, you either believe in um, an intelligent designer or nihilism, basically. Is that what you're saying? You're right. That's right. I was talking to a guy who was an atheist and I was like, why, why do anything good? And he says, well, you, I just have to pretend. I have to pretend? I just, there's no reason. He says, it, it's just, just despair. So I have to act like there's reason and purpose in life or else I fall into despair. That's Mm. it. Okay. Well, I think that is the logical conclusion. You have to credit the guy for being logically consistent. Uh, You just pretend. You have to pretend there's meaning, pretend there's a morality, but there really isn't. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Listening to Table Talk Radio alone? Well, get used to it. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the devotions button. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man I always thought that lines is how many times how many anyway the game we're gonna play is called how many times how many times how'd you like that, that <laughs> I was trying to figure out to the evolution like oh the man walked down the road and then the monkeys walked down the road and then <laughs> the, right. and then the birds walked down the road 
All right. Well, the way this uh, game this works. Great thing. I, I was uh, a buddy here at church said the other day. He says, "You know, science. It was supposed to help us explore space. You know, put a man on Mars, and instead, it gave us Twitter." <laughs> science. science. Man will be judged by his fruits. Science. I suppose. Anyway, uh, okay. How many times? Let's see how this game works. I got the uh, Book of Concord opened here in my Logos Bible software. And I can just search it. So I can just put in the word, and it'll tell me how many times that word comes up. And then we can look at the first time it's used. And then we can talk about it. So the Book of Concord is a collection of ten books, starting with the Three Creeds, and then the Augsburg Confession, the Apology, Small Called, some uh, a great little essay with Luther with an appendix by Melanchthon on the Pope, uh, Large and Small Catechisms, both, and the Formula of Concord, 1577, debating ten or so disputed theological topics that arose after Luther died amongst the theologians of the Augsburg Confession, all published in 1580 and becomes, right at its publication, basically the official teaching of the Lutheran Church. I had an email from someone this morning. They said, do all Lutheran churches use the small and large catechism? And the answer is, they should. I mean, this, is, this book here, the formula, the Book of Concord, is what... Is really what it means to be Lutheran theologically. That's a bit like asking, do all Christian churches use the Bible? You can be either Lutheran or you can be Lutheranoid. <laughs> Those are the Lutherans that don't use the Book of Concord. Right. <laughs> Luther, well, how did it, homini, ho, hominoid? Hom, Whatever, Lutheranoid. Yeah. Lutheranoid. I like that. Someone write it down. Yeah. Okay. Pick a word. Okay. Uh, how about the word mass? Mass. Okay. How many times do you think it comes up? I, I'm gonna, Before I search, I'm going to also... And you're referring to the Catholic mass. Uh, no, just a big bunch that... of people. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, uh, the <laughs> mass. So I see uh, I've got this mass on my side. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I think this is going to be interesting because I think this word was employed more frequently in the earlier documents. I have a suspicion, and you have to let me know as you as you get these results. I have a suspicion that the reformers uh, start to lean away from the language of mass, and I think that's because the association of the sacrifice of the mass. Now, early, probably like in the Augsburg Confession, I don't know that they would have been trying to avoid the language. I do think later they do, uh, except to be used in a way that is uh, speaking of the sacrifice of the mass. So almost a almost a derogatory use, you know. So I don't know. This is going to p- come up a lot. I'm going to say uh, eighty nine times, not eighty nine times. Uh, that's not a bad guess, but I'm going to shoot for lower. Uh, my guess is going to be um, let's say sixty. Uh, I think you might be right. You remember the Augsburg Confession will talk about the Mass and what it is, apology also. Luther, in small called, says, you want to debate something, let's debate the Mass. He has Mm -hmm. some strong words for it. Mm -hmm. Some Lutherans uh, like to call the divine service on Sunday morning the Mass, just to be obnoxious, I think. (laughs) Um, That's what we do. Do, You do what you're good at. (laughs) Yes. I mean, they're like, hey, that's what we Lutherans called it that in the Book of Concord, so we can do it. So you, the, the Book of Concord authorizes you being obnoxious, mm-hmm. which I suppose is true enough. So, okay, let's see. You said 89, I said 60. The results are 128. Woo! 
You, you are the winner. Yeah, this I just have to be more than you if it's gonna be like that. It's kind of like on uh, the Price Is Right, when someone would bid a dollar because they think everybody else right. went over. Right. As long as I was over you. Okay, so pick out um, one of these and we'll talk about it. Here's one. The first one, Article Twenty Four of the Augsburg Confession, is titled "The Mass," and it starts. We are unjustly accused of having abolished the Mass. Without boasting, it is manifest that the Mass is observed among us with greater devotion and more earnestness than among our opponents. Thus, Moreover, the people yeah. are instructed often and with great diligence concerning the Holy Sacrament, why it was instituted, how it is to be used, namely as a comfort for terrified consciences. Look at that. That's great. In order that the people may be drawn to the Communion and Mass, people are also given instruction about other teachings concerning the Sacrament. Meanwhile, no conspicuous changes have been made in the public ceremonies of the Mass, except that in certain places German hymns are sung in addition to the Latin responses for the instruction and exercise of the people. Yes. After all, the chief purpose... How about this? Here's a line that we can talk about. After all, the chief purpose of all ceremonies is to teach the people what they need to know about Christ. Ah, good stuff. Now that uh, is, is the reason that uh, those like to use the word obnoxiously, because it says we did not abolish the Mass. In fact... We celebrate the mass better than anybody else. <laughs> that sounds like, that sounds like something Trump would say, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> we do it best. Yeah, Nobody we... <laughs> does the mass better than us. That's right. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, but but I mean, here's this is what they're saying. Look, uh, this was instituted by Christ our Lord. That that you know, take, eat, take, drink, given for you for the forgiveness of sins, and it had been demented over the years, especially in the Middle Ages, to say that this is some kind of a re-sacrificing, uh, and that this was an offering to God for the sins uh, of the people. I mean, this is this is just terrible <laughs> because it was denying what Christ has done on the cross, the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. So this is hey, why. Let me then, read you. A, oh no, keep going. I'm sorry. I, I was, yeah, I'm on a roll here. Um, <laughs> but this is why then they're, they're going to say, look, we didn't get rid of it. We didn't abolish it. We just went back to instituting it the way that it was meant to, the way that Christ gave it to us as, as something that uh, gives comfort to a terrified soul so that you're, you're in terror for the sins that you've committed, and yet you have into your mouth the very body and blood of Christ with this promise, I forgive you of all of your sins. That's what it's for. Okay, go right. ahead. That's right. I'm going to read. Um, so Luther starts. Remember small cult articles. That's what Luther wrote in preparation for a council. And he says, um, uh, first, Trinity. And then second part, he says, if we had friendly papists, this, or this, no, th no, he says, in the second part, this is how we argue. The third part, he says, if we had friendly papists, we'd argue like this. But the second part is we don't have friendly papists. So article one is on Christ and faith. And he says, now once you got that down, Here's Article 2. He says, The Mass in the papacy must be regarded as the greatest and most horrible abomination because it runs into direct and violent conflict with this fundamental article about Christ and our redemption. Yet above and beyond all others, it has become the supreme and most precious of the papal idolatries. For it is held that the sacrifice or work of the Mass, even when offered by an evil scoundrel, delivers men from their sins, both here in this life and yonder in purgatory, Although in reality, this canon must be done by the Lamb of God alone, as he is, has been stated above. There is to be no concession or compromise in this article either, for the first article does not permit it. So uh, so Luther says, now he goes on and on and on to talk about the, the Mass and all the things. He, he goes on, uh, 
uh, about it talks about the dragon's tail, the mass, and all the things that come after it with purgatory and all this other sort of stuff. And he says, now you guys can talk about that. Hmm. <laughs> if you want to talk about this, if you want to talk about something in the in the council, you can talk about that. I think we should start speaking that way. If we had friendly uh, bishops, we would say this. If we, <laughs> since we don't, if, we had, if there were yeah, friendly, right. if there were friendly Calvinists, friendly Calvinist bloggers, yeah, a, we would say this. <laughs> if there, here's how Luther says it: If there were reasonable papists, one would speak to them in the following friendly fashion. Why do you cling so tenaciously to your masses? After all, they're purely in a human invention. They're not commanded by God, and we can discern all human inventions. For Christ says. Uh, for we, oh, sorry, for we can discard all human inventions, for Christ says, in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines and precepts of men. The Mass is unnecessary. It can be omitted without sin and danger. The sacraments can be had in a far better and more blessed manner. Let the people be told openly that the Mass is trumpery, can be omitted without sin, etc. Uh, this is how you would speak to the friendly papist. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's good. Good stuff. Yep. All right, want to do another one? Now, do you want to throw yep. a keyword in there? I mean, do you want to go back and you forth got one, on that? You got another one? I haven't thought of one yet. Why yeah, I was, I was thinking about the word, it's Latin, uh, adiaphora. Adiaphora. Uh, now, this is another one where the um, the formula actually takes this up. But I think this is going to have fewer cases. I'm going to say, like, 11. I was thinking 11. Ooh, now you get to decide, are you going to go 10 or are you going to go 12? I'm going to go 12. Okay. 12. <laughs> the answer, 13. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give myself a couple of points here. Oh, all of a sudden this comes points. up first in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 10, where it says church usages called adiaphora, or indifferent things, but then all the rest of them are in the Book of uh, Formula of Concord, mm -hmm. Article Ten, mm -hmm. ecclesiastical rites that are called adiaphora. So why did you why don't you give us a, a rundown of the word and then I'll read a couple of paragraphs. Yeah, typically we define adiaphora as the um, things neither commanded nor forbidden. So these are things that you know Scripture is uh, is silent on. We're we're free, and it's typically in terms of matters of worship, the ceremonies of of church, and um, so we 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 would like to think well. Because the Bible is silent on this thing, we're free to do them or not do them. That means I can do whatever I want. Um, and that's not quite how we take it. The uh, scriptures themselves give to us the notion that uh, we use then these things that were neither commanded nor forbidden on, the, the things that we're free in, and we use them in service um, to the neighbor. So in particular, what communicates the gospel? What what? Uh, demonstrates the truth of God and teaching in these ceremonies. That's what we want to center on with the things that are free. Uh, we'll talk more about that when we come back from this break on Table Talk Radio. You're listening to Table Talk. Uh, guys, this is really bad. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. And we're back here on Table Talk Radio. 
guessing that Adiaphora appears 13 times in the Book of Concord. Um, 13 times. 13. All right, so what do you think about uh, this Adiaphora discussion? Here's a, a paragraph to read from the Book of Concord. We should. This is Formula 10, Paragraph 5. We should not consider as matters of indifference, and we should avoid as forbidden by God ceremonies which are basically contrary to the Word of God, even though they go under the name and guise of external adiaphora and are given a different color from the true one. Nor do we include among truly free adiaphora, or things indifferent, those ceremonies which give, or to avoid persecution, are designed to give the impression that our religion does not differ greatly from that of the papists, or that we are not seriously opposed to it. In other words, why don't you guys just act more Lutheran, uh, you Lutherans just act more like the Catholics, and uh, if it, you can do it differently, then do it. And they said, no, no. Mm-hmm. So, that's yeah. nice, actually. Yeah. So again, how do we use this freedom that we have? We we want to use it to confess the truth and convey the faith once delivered to the saints, um, so that there is not confusion with the truth. So this notion, I think that people who understand Adiaphora as uh, I'm I can I can do willy nilly whatever I want. Haven't actually read some of these texts because you do not get that impression from from these writings. Uh, instead, right. the opposite. Like, how do we how do we use those free things, those things that are indi- that were indifferent? How do we use these to separate ourselves from the from those who practice falsehood and confess the truth for the comfort of souls? That's the whole point. Right. That's right. All right. You, okay, you I got, got another one. one. Okay. I want to search for the phrase "wrath of God." Oh, nice. I betcha. This is in there more than one might think. I'm going to... You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about the wrath of God. We were talking about this in Worldwide Bible Class today, I don't about like how feminist the theology <laughs> says that it understands the cross as divine child abuse. Talk about the wrath of God or sin or God's holiness or any of this stuff. You know... But um, the old Lutherans didn't mind talking about it. The first time I heard that phrase, divine child abuse, abuse was from the late... Christopher Hitchens, you know, the so-called new atheist. Yeah. And he said that, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know why the father would have to kill his son in order to forgive. Cause I, if, if someone sins against me, I can forgive them without whipping my boy, <laughs> you know? And, um, of course the the interesting thing is that the reason Christopher Hitchens could have forgave someone is because Jesus died for that person. Right. <laughs> but never mind. Uh, so never I'm going to say the wrath of God is showing up around 49 times. Oh, yeah? I was just thinking 50. So that's just accidentally <laughs> what I was thinking. No, actually, I was thinking... F- mm. I, how come I get to guess second? That's a huge advantage. Oh, oh but, okay. Yeah. Okay, so I get to guess first this time. Ready? Mm-hmm. 49 times. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I'll, I'll, I'll go with uh, 48 and a half. <laughs> okay. Oops. 
Oh, it's it searched for wrath and of and God and came up with like six quotations. Quotes. Yep. Okay. Boom. Forty times. Oh, you got it. Man, oh man. Nice. Well done. Ah, uh, this is good. All right. So, how, uh, we'll pick out one of these so we can give us something to chew on here. Here's the first one. This is on. This is from the where are we? Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Article 27 on monastic vows. Uh, it says, by this sham, to be sure, the monks, quote, pattern their lives more closely after the gospel. He's obnoxious. He's being sarcastic there. Christ takes Moses' place not by forgiving sins on account of our works, but by setting his merits and his propitiation against the wrath of God for us so that we might be freely forgiven. Whoever sets his own merits, in addition to Christ's propitiation, against the wrath of God, whoever tries to attain to the forgiveness of sins because of his own merits by doing the works of the Mosaic Law or of the Ten Commandments or the rule of Benedict or the rule of Augustine or of other rules, whoever does this abolishes the promise of Christ and has cast Christ away and has fallen from Christ. Mm. This is the verdict of Paul. This is the m- most perfect response to the divine child abuse claim. Because what what it's actually doing is is the, the divine child abuse claim is denying the a sentence for sin. So the only way that you could see the cross as divine child abuse is if there if there was no sin and therefore no penalty demanded. I mean, yeah, if 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 the if the father sent the son to die for no reason, then yes, child abuse. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if there is a penalty due for our sins, and that he sins as a sacrifice as a substitution in our place. That is the furthest thing from child abuse, but in fact, the atoning sacrifice. So anyone then who wants to add to that or bring some alternative to that to that uh, sacrifice that's needed, then they're just incurring then that wrath of God. This is um, this is really important. I think to, I was thinking about. Um the three prayers that Jesus offers from the cross and how the first and the last are addressed from the son to the father. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But the middle prayer, when Jesus is suffering under God's wrath, he does not say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's pretty important to recognize this, that Jesus is not suffering the wrath of the Father. He's suffering the wrath of God. He's suffering his own wrath. And he's suffering the Holy Spirit's wrath and, the, and God the Father's wrath over sin. So the atonement is not something between the Father and the Son. The, the atonement is something between God and Christ. And that is... We, we just can't miss that dynamic there because it's not like the son is the nice redeeming person of the Trinity and the father is the angry vengeful one. No, 
They share the same attributes, which are both holiness and love, all three persons. And so, um, so it is Jesus, he, he comes, to, so he, he puts himself between his own anger towards sin and us and suffers all of that for us so that we might, so that we might rejoice in his eternal life. It's incredible. Hmm. Okay, I got, I got another one for you. Okay. How many times does the word <laughs> reprobate appear in the book of Concord? <laughs> well, half of it has to do with me being able to spell it right. So what's your guess? <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking it might show up once or twice as a, as a um, you know, counterpoint. But maybe that phrase didn't wasn't circulating quite yet. Uh, it probably was. It probably, it probably was. By 1580, it probably was. Uh, I'm going to say it might appear twice. I'll say five times. Boom. Answer zero. <laughs> so I win. Look, look. That was a good trick. <laughs> oh, you... How many times do you use the word meta? I'm looking, up a, a, <laughs> I'm looking up apostate. I looked up apostate. Okay, okay. Uh, once. Apostate only comes up once. Where are you? Julian the Apostate, it quotes. Celsius and many other Christians at the ground, the gospel would destroy the con. Huh. The, oh, here, this is interesting. This is under political order. It says the gospel does not destroy the state or the family, but rather approves them and commands us to obey them as divine ordinances, not only from fear of pro punishment, but also for sake of conscience. How many times the word conscience appears in the Book of Concord? Mm, that, let's do that. We have about a minute left. Let's do that one. All right. Um, I'm going to guess that one appears 91 times. I, I did this search before, but I can't remember. It's some outrageous. I'm going to say 212 Whoa. is the number that comes to mind. Oh, 139 times. Oh, I'm going to do What'd math. you say? I said 90-something, 90 93. You win again. Yes. You win again. Man, oh, man. Man, how about, let me just click down to find one to read here. The, the, the Lutherans are more interested than anyone else in, in having a good conscience. Uh, there is also a sacrifice. This is in the Sacrifice of the Mass. One action can have several purposes. Once faith has strengthened the conscience to see its liberation from terror, then it really gives thanks for the blessing of Christ's suffering. It uses the ceremony itself. This is talking about the Lord's Supper, the church service as a praise to God, as a demonstration of its gratitude, as a witness of its high esteem for God's gifts. The ceremony becomes a sacrifice of praise. It's great. Ah, good stuff. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the revelation of Scripture has told us that we are all saints. Mm. In the Lord thanks God. for listening to this edition of Table easy. Talk Radio. Table easy. Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your easy. pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.